You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Welcome to the Bridge Metro West, where everything goes according to plan. I want to welcome our online audience as well. Thank you for hanging out with this morning. Thank you guys for coming out this morning and spending a couple hours with us as family. Uh, in-house fam, would you give our online fam a hand? I'm sad to report that I don't have to worry about football anymore this season. I know, all the you guys. Yeah, it was a rough night for my team last night. It's been a long time since I changed the channel. But I need to go to bed early anyway. It's that kind of day. What's up, Brax? Good run, good run. Just real quickly, um, without a lot of fanfare, we want to take the, the time just to uh, make mention, receive your tithes and offerings, whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give. In-house family, there's a basket in the back, and you can drop that off um, as you go today. If you're making out checks, you can make them to the bridge, um, or you can text one word, Bridge Metro West, to the number 77977. should be on your screens right now. And, um, and we will send you a secure link and you can give responsibly by a credit card or debit card um, or you can give through the app. There's uh, that too uh, on the website, all kinds of ways that you can give. Saturday, the 22nd, one, two, 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 two. From 10 a.m. to 12, we are having an open meeting with our uh, integrated ministry teams. Someone asked me this morning if they were allowed to come. Yes. And, it, and they were not on, on you know, a particular ministry team at this time. But yes, it is open to the public. It's open to everyone. Well, I mean, primarily people are Bridge family. I guess if you're watching online, you can show up too. Um, and we're going to talk about what our integrated ministry teams are. We're going to talk about what it means to pray over people. We're going to talk about our, some of the different needs that we have. Even in, it, You might not think that you're prophetic, but you're technical. And we need help in the, the technical area of things. It's not too hard. The system's set up. Um, but uh, we just want to really get our heads around this as we launch into 2022 this year. So we're in it. And I want, I also want to say that, um, we really feel the need for increased prayer through this year. And to that end, we haven't named a date, but I, I'm just saying be nimble because we need to have a time of fasting and there will be moments and times of prayer. And I, I, I don't get a sense necessarily that that prayer will be live streamed. It might be, um, but I don't want to make it too easy <laughs> because there's a sacrifice involved. Yeah, Mabel knows all about that for, I don't know how many years she was here in the prayer room every single day. We've done all night worship, all night prayer. We've done all of these things. It's been a while, obviously, um, but this we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Amen. There's like five people that are into that. But we're going to start on Saturday from 10 to 12. Then following service next Sunday, we're going to do a Bridge Connect. What is Bridge Connect? If you are newer to the bridge, if you've not been to a Bridge Connect, then you need to come. I'm not, I'm not staring at you guys in particular. But anyway, I don't want to make our visitors feel weird. Um, but actually I do. I, I want to make everybody feel weird to be really, I got to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm before God. Um, but uh, following service, we're going to talk about a little bit of what I'm going to be talking about today, but who we are as the bridge, um, different ways that you can plug in, um, and uh, what it means to be part of this family. And so we're going to talk about that in a, in a really um, one-hour package. We typically serve like a light lunch or something, you know, food-wise, just so that you're sustained. And um, unless you're fasting next week, which is fine, then you don't have to eat anything. Uh, and then the following Saturday, we're doing our Bridge Family 101 course. So if you've not taken that, or if you have taken that, I actually encourage everybody to come out uh, because we haven't done one since uh, prior to COVID. And uh, we go into depth about what our mission is, what our vision is, what our values are, and how we carry that out as a church, um, as a family. So that's what's coming up. We have a power-packed couple of weekends. And so uh, looking forward to seeing you all at 10 a.m. on Saturday. And then the following Saturday, looking forward to seeing you all at 10 a.m. again. And we typically serve a, a, a lunch for that as well, just to, to keep you in-house. Um, and uh, God is good. God is good. And all the time. All right, that's our charismatic liturgy. Uh, I think we're ready to release the kids. Kids, um, so you know, Lisa's waving her hand, and oh, it's her purse, or that, our bag. Uh, you guys can go, and we've got y'all registered, and you're in good hands with Lisa and the other classes, the nursery. Everything is staffed. And now those of you who remain. Um, we had a, you know, interesting couple weeks. As you know, I wasn't here last week. I was in Florida um, with my other sister uh, working on my dad's house, my parents' house. Uh, my dad passed away at the beginning of December. And so it's weird going through a life. 80 four years of living and realize that you're really closing out a chapter. Um, it's weird going through it. And it's fascinating too. We found things that we never even knew existed. Uh, things from our family lines and uh, we found, you know, diplomas from like the early 1900s and they were better back then. You know, they were giant, like, diplomas and, you know, really ornate and, you know, fun. And now they just kind of print them off, you know, probably from a bulljet printer. But um, so, it, you know, it, was, it, was, it makes things real, a little bit more real. And so uh, the day that we flew out, the morning that we flew out, uh, Riley was down on the Peloton working out as our son. And... Uh, he noticed that there was water in the basement. So uh, we realized that our, our water heater was leaking. 
but we caught it early, so we, I was able to isolate it, turned all the valves off, uh, called a guy out, and he said, yeah, he did all the right things. And I said, okay, so it's okay to fly out? And he said, yes, so we flew out that night. And, uh, and, and then we, we got back, and uh, as before I got back, I scheduled uh, them to come out, and they had decided that it was, you know, obviously the water heater. So they came out and installed a brand new water heater. And then the next morning, we had 60 gallons of water in the basement. <laughs> so uh, I called them forthwith <laughs> and uh, said, uh, this, this brand new water here that we installed yesterday, uh, it's empty. <laughs> so um, the, uh, the guy came out and uh, he kind of looked at it and I showed him, you know, we had cleaned it up pretty quickly, you know, Deb is, if you know Deb, people that are, that asked me where Deb is in the building, I, I said, follow the sound of the shark, you know, the vacuum or something, you know, there you will find her. Uh, so she, she came down, you know, we got the shop back out and, you know, sucked up. I mean, we have this throw carpet that literally had five to 10 gallons of water in it. It's not that big, but it was very absorbent. I know it was like a bounty throw carpet or or what it was, it was, but it definitely was the quicker picker upper. So uh, that, that was fun to realize that we, you know, took a couple shop vacs full of, of uh, water to get that thing as close to dry as you could get. But uh, so we had it all cleaned out. He came out and then he, you know, he was looking at it and he was completely stumped. He's the guy that normally looks at our, our whole heating system every year. Um, to make sure that it's up to snuff. And he, he said, I have no idea what happened because your water tank is actually full. And if it was a problem with the tank, it would be empty. And I don't know what to do for you. And so we're kind of like, well, like I showed him the video. I was like, here's the two inches of water that was on the floor. And he goes, well, let's just hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> and we're looking at him like, really? I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I, 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 I guess. So, um, the next morning, 9.45, because that's about the time that it happened. I don't know why, what, what's significant about 9.40, 9.45, but we, uh, we got down. Now all my prophetic people are going to like start looking up scriptures, you know, Isaiah 9.45. You know, what is the meaning of this? You know, the river flows. He's pouring out his water. Uh, I love him. Uh, so uh, I was down there on the phone with the, the company and right in front of my eyes, water started just pouring out of the, the, uh, the pressure valve, which the guy the previous day had said it can't, couldn't possibly be the pressure valve because it was bone dry at that point. And we would have, you know, he said you would hear it, you know, it's 120 pounds of pressure of water that would come flying out and so on and so forth. Well, I was standing right there and the water started pouring out while I was on the phone with the company and they said, okay, we're going to send somebody out right away. And so they did, they installed another new tank and then they realized, wait a second, it's still overfilling. And so then they are on the phone, they're talking to each other and they realized that there was another valve in the line before the hot water heater and the recir uh, recirculator or the circulator that both were bad. And so it was just continuously filling the tank until it was overpressured. And so from the beginning, we probably didn't need a hot water tank, but now we have a hot water tank and we have no water in our basement, except that it's still drying out and they're going to 
take care of uh, all the repairs. The insurance adjuster was out. With one phone call, the insurance adjuster was out within uh, about 90 minutes while they were still doing the work and uh, and said, we're just going to take care of everything, new floors, you know, whatever you got to do to get the wall repaired and all that kind of stuff. So that's been the week. And then this morning, actually yesterday, a couple days ago, I had to jump Deb's car. I called AAA because my little jumper wouldn't jump it. And they jumped the car, and I drove it around. I let it run for 45 minutes, and then I went for a drive. And um, the next day, it wouldn't start again. <laughs> so we were down to, but that's okay. We still have the other car. So uh, we get up this morning. We were on our way to church. We Then I looked down at my dash, and my right rear tire has one pound of pressure in it, which is about 37 pounds less than what that tire is supposed to be. So we waddled our way back to the house and called Lisa and said, hey, can you pick me up or pick us up? So that's the kind of week we've had. And, I, you know, I joke about it sometimes when people say, hey, how you doing? And people will say, well, I'm going through trials. And I'm like, well, what's your trial? Well, my, my dishwasher broke and my, my refrigerator broke down at the same time and, and my dog died or, you know, it's a country song. But I would say the last couple of weeks, I mean, uh, for, for me emotionally and physically, yeah, I would say I'm going through some trials. And, you know, when you're going through things like that, you know, the niceness factor uh, goes down. But we also know that God isn't nice. He is good. And he is kind. But sometimes in his kindness, he recognizes that he must be forthright. I've talked about this a, a few times, but there was a friend of mine uh, who was a A-list, B-list, I would say probably B-list drummer in Nashville, um, and uh, he was on tour actually for about eight years straight, just on the road for eight years straight, and uh, actually there was one year that he, they didn't go on the road, but he was salaried, so he just got paid whether he played or not, and when he wasn't playing for the band that he was playing for, he would go off and do other fly dates with other bands, but I was on a tour bus with them for a couple weeks at one point, and, uh, and he asked me, is God safe? And I said, not for you, because <laughs> I knew what he was up to. And I said, he's not safe to the realm of the soul because he wants the realm of the soul to come under the dominion of the newly created being, which is the spirit, which is wisdom, communion, and conscience. He's not safe to the realm of the flesh, which reacts to the realm of the soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions, these physiological responses. There's things in us that he drives a sword in to put to death. And then on the other end of that, as it tries to resurrect in our way and in our walk, then he says, now I have given you everything you need for life and godliness according to your knowledge of me. And I want you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What does it mean? If we, now, if you've been around here for a while, you understand that the Hebraic uh, concept of obedience, when you see obedience in the Old Testament, it literally means to hear with comprehension. That's all it means. Now, wouldn't it be great that if our kids heard us and comprehended the things that we said, that they would obey? But that's not always the way that it works out. I, you're lucky if they hear with comprehension. Amen? Wow, it got quiet in here. 
But God is banking on his goodness so much that he understands, he knows that if we walk in obedience with him, that means if we stay inside the voice of God, that his goodness is so great that there's nothing we would recognize that there's no other king like this and there's no other place that we would rather be than within the space of hearing his voice and comprehending and walking that out. Does that make sense? And so I say all of these things to say that we need to seek him first and his righteousness. Psalm 63, uh, in, I'll do the New King James as opposed to the Old King James, but I, I like the way it's translated, and you won't necessarily um, see this translated in other translations, but it says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself because this is something I'm, I'm going to teach at a future time, probably next week, but... When, when it says, early will I seek, it's, it's this one word for seek. And the, the parent noun of that word in the Hebrew literally, literally means the morning or the dawn. And in this word for seeking, there is this inference that the first thing that we do is we seek him. There is an order in the spirit. There's an order to God. And so what, he, what, what the psalmist and David in this, this instance, it, the scholars believe that he was in the desert and he wrote this psalm while he was running from Absalom, who's his son that betrayed him. And so sometimes in those moments of intense wilderness experiences, we find that the wilderness of Judah is the very place that we can actually worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he says, God, you are my God. Elohim, you are my El. Literally is what it says there. And so he's saying, I am putting you first in all things, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of my difficulty, in spite of my own family, my, my sons, who perhaps I didn't parent so well that this would happen, in spite of all of my honest self-evaluation, while I am alone in this desert place, I say that early in the morning, first thing, I will seek you. And in another psalm, it says, to awaken the dawn. This idea of dawn and seeking God are interrelated. In the womb of the dawn, it's another phrase in the Psalms. There's something about the womb of God where new beginnings manifest. And that is the place that we want to be. And, and it's a scary place to be. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, and Nicodemus is like, what am I supposed to do? Crawl up into my mother's womb again? Well, no, but your father's. <laughs> because that's where new beginnings manifest. In the womb of the dawn. And so in this other space, the, the psalmist talks about, you know what? I'm going to awaken the dawn. 
I'm going to awaken the new beginning. I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to aggressively, diligently pursue the presence and the ways of God. That's all encapsulated in this one word that we call seek. And that's what we're going to do this year. I feel a little pulled in that direction, but I, I want us to talk through a little bit about what we're actually here to do as the Bridge Metro West. And if you're uh, watching online, we do have a ministry available to you following this service, bridgemetrowest.com uh, forward slash ministry rooms. Um, but I know that some people have already queued up for ministry. Our teams aren't ready yet, but they will be. So you can hang out. But I just uh, wanted to leave that note. Our mission is to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on every person that we meet. What does that look like? Sometimes that's a smile. Sometimes that's a word. Sometimes that's walking up to someone saying, how can I pray for you? Sometimes it's looking at the face of that person at your workplace that annoys you so much or this condition or environment in your job that you're so desperately trying to escape and not realizing that maybe that's where God puts you for such a time as this. I've talked to so many people over the years that are trying to get out of a circumstance when it's entirely possible that God put you in that circumstance to be light in the darkness. I mean, at least we're not in a desert place running away from our son who has betrayed us and has taken power over the nation that we once ruled. I mean, everything's relative. I'm feeling pretty bad about my week but I ain't that guy in Psalm 63. I mean, I, I don't want to compare, but you know. But we have nothing to export in terms of an imprint if we have not had an encounter with God. We have to have an encounter. And by encounter, I mean there has to be an experience. I, I don't, I, I'm not anti-apologetics, but I, I don't know a lot of people that rationally entered the kingdom. See, that's what Nicodemus was trying to do. He was trying to rationalize his way into the kingdom. He was trying to use his mind to enter the kingdom. And Jesus is looking at him, no, you've got to be born again. That means everything that you thought you were, every strength that you think that you have is about to be rebirthed and made anew. And some of that stuff, God will cut away to make room for the new. Is God safe? Maybe not for you, but he's good. And what is on the other side of the, the danger of approaching the cross is so much better than what you're walking through perhaps right now. And so we have varying levels of, of encounter, varying levels of experience. And what I love about the presence of God is that his mercies are new every morning. 
So we have the capacity or the possibility of encountering him on a regular basis, not just corporately, but individually. Many of us had an encounter with God this morning. And the question on the other side of that is, what are you going to do with that when you walk out of this place? Now, I had the benefit of walking through or being present in a sovereign move of God, this revival. And I can remember, I was in my 20s. Now, there was all kinds of manifestations that, of course, the world used to criticize the revival. My manifestation was weeping. My wife and I, uh, we honeymooned at, in Toronto, and, you know, when everybody's laughing and you're crying, it doesn't make sense to people, and so they, you know, they want to interheal you. Tell me about your dad. I was like, I want to tell you about Jesus, because when I encounter the beauty of the Lord, I still weep. And, and I was, Papa Che was here, uh, Che on back in October. I think he talked about it here publicly. He said, you know, when I encounter the Lord, I cry. Now, when he was in Toronto, he did get hit with that, what we call holy laughter. But for the most part, when he encounters the beauty of the Lord, he weeps. And that's what ha I would walk, just walk into the doors of the church, be in the foyer of the church, and I would begin to weep. And that's still the case now. This morning, you know, as we began to sing, there, there's not another king like this. The tears started to fill my eyes as I felt the beauty of the Lord enter the room. I was having an encounter with God. When you have an encounter with God, you have something to export. And so there was one particular service where uh, I had a vision, and I, I don't always have visions, and this, sometimes it's, it's a vision that you see like literally before you, and sometimes it's a vision that you see in your mind's eye. Now, I was a worship leader at those times, and, and uh, even as I came to this place, uh, when I thought I was done with Sunday morning ministry, the Lord brought me back into Sunday morning ministry, and I started here as the worship leader. But, but there was one particular service, probably back in 1998 or 99, where I saw a brand that was amber hot. I'm going to say red hot because that's what we understand, but the literal color that I saw was amber, and that brand was coming down, and it was being placed upon the hearts of people that were up at the altar. And so at some point, I stepped down and, and I started praying for people. And there was a, a couple other visions in, in that time that I had. But what stuck out at me was this brand. What is this brand? When we have received uh, an encounter with God and taken that encounter to the saving knowledge of Jesus, what, what does that mean? That means that we, we've come to the cross, but we've also walked through it. Why do I say that? Why is that the kind of the metaphor that I bring? It's because that when you get to the other side of the cross, you you don't get to carry your identity through that thing. And so this is the issue that I have with some theologies or some issues that are in the culture today is that we want to maintain our identity and put our identity in front of Christian. And you don't get to do that. And this was, you know, I remember having this conversation with Craig Thompson about addiction. 
because we were talking about doing a, you know, a recovery group here at the church. And I said, well, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to have people coming to a recovery uh, uh, meeting and 20 years down the line still saying, hi, my name is Paul and I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. Because every time you say that, you speak life into the thing that God has cut off from you. Now, I understand the sentiment. I understand why they do that is so that people maintain a, 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 a they walk circumspectly so that they remember what they walked away from and what they have the capacity to fall back into. But we, we have this thing in, in, in certain theologies too where we say, hi, you know, my name is Paul and I am the chief of sinners. No, once you get to the other side of the cross, yes, you may be sin, you may sin, which means you hold something between your face and God. That's what sin is. That something becomes of value to you in a moment that you place that between yourself and the face of God. Sometimes it's lying because you're trying to get out of something or you're trying to, to maybe twist an event in a way that it would suit you. And so the, the event now becomes something that you place between your face of God. So you're not seeing, you're not walking, you're not staying inside the voice, but you are, you're, you, you're, you're placing now with the vehicle of a lie a truth that is not true between your face and him. Does that make sense? And so you may do that, but it is not how you are identified. You are now a new creation. You are now a peculiar people. You are now a holy nation. You are now grafted into a promise. You are now uh, among the household of royalty. You are now a priest and a collective kingdom unto our God. There's one reference that I, I think is probably uh, correctly translated as priests and kings. Oh, and we love to talk about that. That'll preach. I could preach all day about, you know, our kingly anointing. But the reality is that a lot of people want, they, they, they want to identify with the kingly anointing, but they don't want to pay the price for it. Because we're so busy talking about that, how salvation is free that we don't understand that overcoming is an option. And that there's an inheritance to overcomers. That you, are, you will be judged according to the good works that you do while you walk the earth. You, we have to have an encounter. And I would, I would say continual encounters with the Lord with the presence of God, because he's still speaking, he's still moving, he's still walking, he's still calling us to expand his kingdom. And the only way that we can do that is that if we walk in power, Paul says the kingdom is not mere talk, but it's power. Acts 2 was demonstrated by power. There was a display of power, and when power is released, it becomes the gravitational force that pulls people in. We have to have an encounter with God in order to have something that we can export. We don't have, we don't have a brand in our hand unless we are standing in the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's just like one of those tools that you have by the fireplace when there's no fire in the fireplace. You know, the thing that you stoke the fire with, but it's not red hard. It's not going to leave a mark. I mean, you could swing it 
and you might leave a mark, but you're not going to leave a brand. So when I talk about leaving the imprint of the Father's heart, it's a fiery imprint that stays with the person. And you don't necessarily know what's going to happen on the other side of that. You, they might go home and they say, the weirdest thing happened to me today. And I was in Walmart, and this lady walked up to me, and, and she said, hey, is there something wrong with your right knee? And I said, yes, because there's something wrong with my right knee. And she prayed for it, and the pain went away. It's the weirdest thing. I want it to become so commonplace that people see prayer in public places. This is why my life group meets at Burton's next to the bar. Now, when I was a kid, like, we weren't allowed to go to bars. I mean, because I was a kid, but, but we, you know, it was so much so that sometimes we wouldn't even go to a restaurant that had a bar. Because we're in the world, but we're not of it. But you have to be in the world and still not be of it. And so I love it. We, we meet like right next to the bar in the booth. They know who we are. They're ready for us. And we do our life group. And then at the end of that thing, man, we throw down in prayer. In Burton's. Sometimes we'll pray for the waitress. You know, I know all the OG people, all the OG Burton's people. And every time I walk in, they greet me with a smile. Because we've left the imprint of the Father's heart. It doesn't mean that you have to close the deal. That's up to Holy Spirit to pull them in. If you want to learn more about that, then you should probably hang out and go to the jaywalk meeting. What is jaywalk? It will teach you how to leave the imprint of the Father's heart in every, with every person that you come in contact with. You might be a greeter on a Sunday morning, and you think it's such a menial task. You're going to wake up in the morning like, oh, i got to get up and go early to church. I've got to go be a greeter. But you are possessing the fire of God that might codify what the Holy Spirit is doing in the heart of a person before, they, before the service even starts. That was the confirmation. For me, the confirmation for revival breaking out, it wasn't the service, it wasn't the power, it was the greeter. I was greeted by this strange, glassy-eyed lady when we walked into the church, which freaked me out to, be, to begin with. And then four hours later, while ministry time was still sort of going on, I was one of the last men standing. I've told that story. I won't go there for the sake of time. But as we were walking out, that same greeter beelined for us and greeted us by name. That's got to be supernatural because four hours later, I'm sorry, I'm probably not going to remember your name. I mean, I struggle four minutes later. I'm trying to do those exercises more, you know. You know, it's like somebody says their name is Rick, and I'm like, okay, Ranger Rick. The, he's the all the old people know what that is, you know. But uh, you know, I, and I try to do some kind of mental exercise to remember people's names. But most of the time, I don't. And so somebody walks up to me, and I'm like, hey, man. I've divulged my secrets. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Everything that you do has the capacity to leave an imprint of the Father's heart. 
Everywhere that you go, you have the capacity to leave the imprint of the Father's heart to the degree that you sustain encounter with God. How do you sustain encounter with God? You maintain an aspect uh, of your navigation through life in obedience. That means that you are hearing the voice of God and you're walking inside the space of his voice and his name that is on the move. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Even as he walked in, uh, on the earth and subjected himself to human form, he said, I, I can't do anything without the Father. That's Jesus. If Jesus is saying that, how much more is that true for you and me? We can't do anything without him. And we've got to get to the place where we do what we see, we, we do what we see him doing in a, in a moment of time. Even if it's not convenient. And I, I don't like saying that because I, I, I get convicted by that because I, I like to be the master of my time. And when I have a plan, I don't like interruptions. Now on a Sunday morning, it's probably why we get interruptions all the time. You know, Mary Simmons walked up to me and I'm just trying to worship. I looked at her and I said, I'm worshiping today. I need a prophetic word today. I'm worshiping. And I'm trying to worship and she's still standing there. I'm like, ah, oh, she's not going to go away. <laughs> and she wasn't supposed to. In this moment of healing, I don't know where she went. In this moment of healing, she said, this is unto something. It's unto healing. In this moment of worship. And that's why we did what we did. Sometimes the word of the prophet is just submitted and then it's incumbent upon the, the uh, authority to figure out what to do with it. So we need an encounter. And when we have that encounter, we realize that our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we meet until people, communities, cities, Regions and nation and nations enjoy and reflect the fruit of the Spirit beginning with love, joy, and peace. If you want to know what Reformation looks like, it looks like love, joy, and peace in the culture of the land in, we, in which we walk. Now, I'm afraid that, unfortunately, the loudest voice, at least the most amplified voice, of the church in the last decade or so has not been a voice that has radiated love, joy, and peace. There is a way to communicate truth that still oozes with love, joy, and peace. If we want to be transformed into the image of the Son, then we have to walk in the manner in which he walked. Now, some people will say, oh, he went into the temple and turned over the tables. Well, that's okay. You're, you don't look that much like Jesus yet. So don't be going into places and turning over tables until you heal every person that comes to you. Until you're walking in such a, an attitude of a crucified life where you have laid everything down for him in such a way that there is a, an atmosphere of his presence around you that even when you walk in your shadow, people are healed. When you are able to release the will of God and, and uh, eradicate the works of darkness off of every person that you come in contact with, don't be turning over tables. 
I, I, well, you get it. And so on the back wall, we have our values. We've got that pretty green stuff. Sometimes we shoot videos over there. But they're not just values. They're ranked values. And what do I mean by that? And I'm going to be very brief with this. Ish. But let's start from the bottom. Normally I start from the top, but let's start from the bottom. We love excellence. We pursue excellence. We want excellence in worship. We want excellence in our integrated ministry teams. We want excellence in our greeters. We want excellence out of me. We want excellence in the office. We want excellence in everything that we do. And some people are afraid of excellence. Some people, you know, when I was rolling this out, I think three years ago or four years ago, there there was some pushback on excellence because, well, you know, we don't want to make people feel bad. You know, what if, you know, they do something and it's not excellent? Well, the idea of excellence is that we would not allow someone to stay in the state that they were before, that they would literally excel, which is biblical. This is why Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, he's transforming you from one level of glory to another level of glory. That means that Jesus wants you to excel in all things so much that he has put you in a cycle of transformation that doesn't end at the cross. It begins at the cross. And as every, every morning, mercies are new. And when you wake in the morning and the first thing that you do is you seek his face, that you thirst for his presence, presence, that you hunger for his ways, you position yourself to be transformed to a whole other level of his glory. And it doesn't mean that he won't rebuke you. It doesn't mean that he won't discipline you because the Lord disciplines those that he loves, but he does that because he wants you to excel. And so we pursue excellence. And sometimes that means that we have to be honest with a person about what their gifting is and what their gifting is not. If you are tone deaf, you are never going to be on the worship team because we want you to excel. And that will be a mode of service in which you will not excel apart from a miracle of God. But we don't want to pursue excellence in a way that violates our other values. What's the next value? It's community. And when I say community, now we think of community as, as just the internal church, but I'm talking about the greater community. We love Metro West. I, I don't just have a, a vision for Metro West, man. I want to see the kingdom come in New England. I, I, I can't remember if I was in the middle of worship one time or if I was speaking one time. I don't remember, but I, I had an internal vision of the buckle of the Bible belt being pulled up. You know, it's how sometimes old guys got to pull up their, you know, their big buckle belts and they get their pants up and being pulled up into New England. Now, I, I say that with a little bit of fear and trepidation because I also know what happens when 
we have cultural Christianity. We begin to relax. We begin to say things, you know, a couple generations down, like, bless your heart. Now, if someone says, bless your heart in Georgia, they don't generally mean, bless your heart. They just, like, generally mean, you stupid. And this is my way of saying goodbye. Like, I don't want that. And I've talked about, you know, I think it was John Thomas that told me about doing street ministry, prophetic ministry and outreach to the homeless in Dallas. And he's like, we walked out there and it's like they knew more, more scripture than the people on the teams did because it's so cultural. But the other reality of the Dallas area is that it's one of the, 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 the most highly active pornographic cultures in the nation. There's a lot of religiosity, but there's not necessarily a lot of people that are walking inside the voice. That other things have been put between our face and God. So, but we have a, a vision for our community. We talk about reformation. Again, man, I, it, reformation looks like Framingham exuding love, joy, and peace. And that which is opposite of that must die. And whatever that means and for Boston, and for the governor's office, and for New England, and across the nation. And I just start with love, joy, and peace, because if we don't have love, joy, and peace, then gentleness, kindness, and self-control, the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, it, it's going to be lifeless. We're just going to engage in behavior modification. Some people believe that the, the fruit of the Spirit is behavior modification. No, it's something that flows from encounter. And when you have an encounter with God, love, joy, and peace saturate your being in such a way that the rest of the fruit of the Spirit just begins to roll out of you like new wine. Does that make sense? Can somebody say amen? And so... We pursue excellence, but we don't pursue excellence in a way that just because we want to look cool to the community. We don't do what we do so that we can look cool to people out there. We do what we do so that we can love them better. And that's inside the walls and outside of the walls. And so we looked at area organizations because we, you know, we had a food pantry here years ago and, it, you know, it was okay. But I was like, there's got to be somebody out there that's doing this and has been doing it a long time and is doing it better than, than what we're doing. And so we closed down our food pantry and we looked for organizations in the region. And one of the top organizations that we've been serving and have a great relationship with is a place to turn. And I, I love the way that they love people. And they are kind, but they're not always nice. The reality is that most people that come in the, through the doors are very gracious. And then there's other people that try to beat the system. And in that case, they are kind, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're nice. And so we want to serve the community, the cities, and the organizations by going up to them and saying, what are your top three problems? And now we want to help you solve them. And in all the organizations that we met with, their top two problems were generally money and people. They need money and they need volunteers. And I said, easily done. 
We can get you resources, financial resources, canned goods. We can get you clothing, whatever you need. And we can get you people to volunteer when you need it. And so every year, usually around the fall time, Greta will call the executive director at a place to turn and say, hey, what do you need? This year it was spices. We, that was the weirdest request. That was the weirdest request we ever got from them. They're like, okay, we're going to get your spices. Because we have a vision for a community. We have a value for our community. Does that make sense? Now the next rung up, going through puberty or something, my voice is cracking, is family. And by family, I mean new, uh, a kingdom family. In America, in Western culture, we have elevated the nuclear family to a place where it ought not be. And I say that with a little bit of fear and trembling because I know that a lot of people would not agree with me. There are people within HIM that would not agree with me. But what do I mean by this? I had a friend of mine that is part of our, our, our church network and he was posting on social media, you know, all these things that he was doing with his family and he would do hashtag family first. And I finally called him and I said, why don't you show me a scripture that's, that where God is teaching us to put our own little nuclear family first? Now, I understand the sentiment because in previous iterations of the church in America, and even you can go back to the Great Awakenings, that there were ministers that sacrificed their families on the altar of their ministry. And so you have, you know, pastor's kids that grow up in rebellion because we're not, we're not serving our family well while we serve the kingdom well. And you can do both, but it doesn't mean that we elevate the nuclear family above a place which is the body of Christ. It means we take our nuclear family and we plant them in the midst of kingdom family so that they see the value that we have as fathers and mothers for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I learned the value of the kingdom, not because of what necessarily my parents did for me, but by how they served. And, you know, again, we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night people. If the church doors were open, we were there. And then, you know, we were in the Baptist church. So as I got older, I could survive the Baptist church without feeling the conviction of the spirit. When I was real little, I could sleep through the Sunday night service and I snored. So I became somewhat of a thing in the church where I would fall asleep on the pew and I would start snoring and everybody just kind of bore with it. But then we would sneak off to Wellesley Park Assembly of God, which was in Natick at the time. And they were having a charismatic revival. This is back in the late seventies, early eighties. And man, Pastor Jack Mitchell, you could not sleep through his service. The dude scared me. I'm like six, seven, eight years old, and we're going to this church on a Sunday night, and he's an old school assembly of God, revival, fire and brimstone type of te teacher. Now, I was young, so I wasn't really doing a lot of, you know, really wrong things to be convicted, but we kept going back into it as I was approaching my teen years. And then when I was in my mid-teens, we actually went there for a year when we moved back from New Jersey because we didn't know where we were going to be. And now I'm in a room with like 600 people. And every time he preached, I felt like he was looking at me. He probably was, right? See, some of the people here, they came from that, that church, you know. Guy was fire. He never used a note. 
He just had it all in his head. But it's in that that I learned to demonstrate the value of the kingdom to my family because my mother and father taught me the value of the kingdom when I was young. You can't expect your kids to grow up and magically be in Christ if you are not continually bringing them into the presence. And I understand that it's hard because I understand that the culture of schools and extracurricular activities and sports have shifted and a lot of that happens on Sundays. But let me tell you, you demonstrate the value of the kingdom by how you value the kingdom. And this right here is kingdom family. And when we prioritize kingdom family, we demonstrate down through the generations, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So look, my, my parents showed it to me. And so now to their children's children, we're seeing the value of the kingdom being expressed. Call them revival babies. You know, I mean, we came here, we, guys, we had five-hour services, four-hour services when I got here. Riley was not even a year old. He was about seven months old, and we got here like at 7.30, 8 o'clock, and we left like at 3 or 4 in the afternoon because the service started at 10 or whenever we could get out of the prayer room back in that day. John, you know, would come up to me periodically and he'd say, we really need to start the service at 10. I'm like, I'd start the service at 10, but like 90% of the church is in the prayer room. And you're getting whacked in the prayer room, all this crazy stuff. And so we'd, you know, wander our way out and start worship. And so worship would go in, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And then we have, you know, announcements, prophetic words, dream interpretations for another 45 minutes. And then we release the kids somewhere in the midst of all that. And then John would get up to speak and he would speak about 70 minutes. Not always, but a lot of times because I edited his message, messages, I know how long he spoke. And then we would go into ministry time. So by the time we would get into ministry time, it was almost two o'clock. And then at the end of ministry time, then our prophetic and our dream teams were doing prophetic words and dream interpretations every single week. And we did all of that with a baby. Why? Because we value kingdom family. Because I was taught to value kingdom family. And now I know and I believe that my children's children will value kingdom family but we, well, let me just finish. On the top of all this is love. Love is the supreme value. You know, we like 1 Corinthians 13. We, we do that at weddings all the time, but it's really not about marriage. It's about life in Christ. And it ends with 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, but now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Mark 12, 30 says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love is the supreme value. A.W. Tozer said, now love is both a principle and an emotion. It is something both felt and willed. 
It is capable of almost infinite degrees. Love in the human heart may begin so modestly as to be hardly perceptible and go on to become a raging torrent that sweeps its possessor before it in total helplessness. Now, that can include marriage, but if you've all been married for more than a couple weeks, then you know that love is both an emotion and willed. That means there are times that you have to will yourself in love, and sometimes you just feel it. When I first met Deb, like, I wasn't looking for marriage. I don't know what I was looking for, but, you know, I was just very independent in some ways. I mean, I thought I was. And so I wasn't really looking for anything, but as I was leading worship in July of 1999, July 31st of 1999, I remember the day, and I'm up there leading worship in a conference with one of Toronto's itinerant ministers, and I look down and I see this woman. I said, oh, she's digging my worship. <laughs> True story. And then I sat down and I saw who she was sitting next to and I realized, oh, wait a second. I remember I met this girl two years ago. No, no, this isn't going to happen. But I couldn't shake it. And within a week, I was in a state of total helplessness. And I came back after visiting her on the Cape the next week and I got friends. Like, they know me. They know. And they're like, what happened to you? And I looked at them and said, I'm whipped. They're like, what? And that was August of 1999. We were married in May of 2000. After a long engagement. I was like, look, I'm 28 or 27 at that time. You're 31 or 32 or however, you know, however that works in the ages. She's four and a half years older than me. That was a big issue for me. Story for another time, but I've gotten used to it by now. But I was like, we, we just got to do this thing. Because she was going back to North Carolina to kind of finish out her life there. And I was like, no, I'm going to get you up here as soon as I possibly can. So when we get married, the true story is I, you know, officially asked her to marry me. I was going to do something cool like the kids do today, but I couldn't, I couldn't wait. So I did it in the parking lot of TF Green, TF Green Airport in, in Warwick, Rhode Island. Providence Airport, you know. Yeah, it was really romantic. Just sat her down in the car. I had the ring inside like a fake rose in the midst of a bunch of other roses. And I gave her the flowers and she was like, oh, that's nice. And she threw the flowers in the back seat. And I was like, my life savings is in those flowers. I was like, no, look at them. Examine them. And she's like, man, you're weird, you know. And I was like, well, welcome to relationship with me. And so finally, I literally had to take the stem of the fake rose and like push it up a little bit. And she's like, oh, what's in here? That's literally how it sounded. I do it pretty well. Popped it open, popped the question. And then we're leaving the airport and she goes, honey? I'm like, yes. This is like September now of 1999. We're, we're a whole month into our relationship. I'm not advocating that you all do this if you're single, but I'm just saying that's how it worked for me. And she goes, honey? I'm like, well, yes. She goes, well, we're getting married May 13th, and we've already reserved the reception hall and the church and the other place. I'm like, what? 
She already planned out the wedding, the date, the whole thing, the reception hall, the rehearsal dinner before I even proposed. I'm telling you, if I had that knowledge ahead of time, I might have just gone through that whole week and not done anything and set her on a plane back to Havelock just to make her sweat it out. Now, I say that, but the reality is I was helpless. I played like I was, I was like, what? Oh, she was over here. I was like, what? <laughs> but that's how she rolled. You got to reserve it early. They get booked up. Okay. We can always change it if you didn't propose. I make you guys feel weird yet. <laughs> All right, let me crash close this thing. I don't know how I got on that. We love excellence, but we don't pursue excellence at the expense of kingdom family. What do I mean by that? It means that we don't pursue excellence that cuts people off at the knees when they're trying to serve because we value kingdom family over excellence, which means that we have to do the hard work sometimes in our ministries, in our lives, in the way that we operate to actually bring that person to a place where they can excel. Very few leaders do this. Very few leaders in the workplace do this. Why? Because they haven't been taught this principle. And so we have a lot of leaders. I was just talking to, uh, to someone this morning. I won't name names. I was talking to someone this morning that's dealing with a, a, a boss at work that's going to the administration, and they're just talking bad about everybody that works for them. And I said, well, that's the Walmart supervisor syndrome. If you work at Walmart, I'm not, I'm not demeaning you. I'm just saying if you work in a place like that, work to the nth degree. Do everything that you can do to be excellent in that space and then add value to yourself. And when you are in a supervisory position, your job is not just to make people do what you want them to do, but it's to empower them to actually give them the capacity to do their job better than they did the previous day. That takes more work. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to just get angry. It's easy to fire people. It's hard to develop them. When I worked for True Green, my division vice president walked into the branch and said, you need to fire this girl. I wasn't even there. He said it to my boss. He didn't say it to me. And so Charlie came up to me and says, well, you know, Chris said you have to fire her. I was like, I'm not firing her. But he said, you have to. I said, I'm not firing her. But he's the division vice president. He said, you got to fire her. I said, I'm not firing her. Watch what I do. I worked with this, and honestly, I, I needed to fire her. I mean, she was, she was pretty bad. But I worked with her, and I did the hard stuff, and we developed her to the point that I think two or three years later, and out of a company of 15,000, she was customer service person of the year. And somewhere in that process, I got another visit from the division vice president, and he said, I, I see you haven't fired her. And I looked at him and said, nope but look at her now. That's what excellence looks like. And that's, what's, uh, that's what excellence looks like when it doesn't violate love. We love 
the greater community, but we don't love the greater community at the expense of our kingdom family. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. We have all kinds of ideas about how we're supposed to handle people outside the walls when clearly scripture delineates the hierarchy of how we serve, who we serve, with the resources that we have. And, you know, we don't have phone books anymore, which is kind of good. But in the, in the early days, man, people would just go through the phone books and they would just call every church in the phone book and ask for money. And if you didn't give them money, then they would start telling you about how you don't know the Bible. It's like, actually, I do know the Bible. And I don't know who you are. And I have a limited amount of resources, and so I'm going to utilize those resources right now primarily to help people that we know are in need here, people who are hungry, people who are about to lose their homes, people who are about to lose their cars. That's what we do. It doesn't mean that we don't love the community, we don't send resources, we don't solve problems, but we don't do that at the expense of kingdom family. It doesn't mean that we... we you don't love kingdom family, but the way that we operate with kingdom family is in a way that doesn't violate love. Love is patient. And love is kind. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. And that's why we have ranked values. It's not just a bunch of values that we throw up on a wall. They're values that give us a pathway through which we can make decisions without having to come to me. If the decision that you make in the operation of your life here in the construct of the bridge Metro West doesn't violate excellence, doesn't violate the greater community, it doesn't violate kingdom family, it doesn't violate love, then you know that you're making the right decision in the moment. Let's stand. For those of you online, we're gonna open up ministry teams for you in just a moment. BridgeMetroWest.com forward slash ministry rooms. They're ready, they're waiting. For those of you in-house, you, we're gonna see you on Saturday at 10 o'clock from 10 to 12. And we're gonna talk about ministry here at the Bridge Metro West and all the various facets that it takes place. And then on Sunday, Bridge Connect, following service. If you haven't done Bridge Connect, we'll see you then. Father, I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful that you show up. Even when sometimes I don't want to. I'm so thankful that your power is perfected in weakness. I'm so glad that you are faithful to demonstrate yourself through the sons and the daughters of the living God. And God, I trust that this morning we have had an atmosphere of encounter because above all, we value love. the love that flows from your throne, the love that exudes from your cross, the love
love that you demonstrated when you said, let the children come to me. Just, just let them come. And so Lord, as we have encountered you today, would you place a fiery brand in our hands so that as we go, we can leave the imprint of the Father's heart upon everyone that we come in contact with. And it's so simple. We don't know how simple it is that even on our darkest days, there is a light that shines that is greater than our mood, greater than our attitude, greater than our pain. And his power is perfected sometimes in those moments, like David in the wilderness, who would still seek your face above all things. We're on a mission to leave the imprint of your heart on everyone that we come in contact with. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things. And love endures all things. And love, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away too. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes, that partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest, the supreme value over all things is love. Father, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for each one online. God, that the encounter to whatever degree we experienced in these moments here this morning, even 
in the release of the word, the light, the quickening that we feel in our bellies, the things that we don't understand in worship when we just felt something move upon us, your presence, the encounter with you, God. Lord, I pray that as we go today, you would double it, you would increase it, that we would see the supreme value of you, Jesus, seated high upon your throne with the name that is above all names, the name that is not even known, the name that is written, that is coursing with power. Every letter uh, of the word of your name is coursing with the power of creation, coursing with the power of your love, coursing with the power of salvation and that resurrection power as you have sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of us so that that same spirit that raised you from the dead would even quicken our mortal bodies in times like these that we can go forth in confidence that you know that we know that you go before us you surround us and you have tabernacled inside of us you rise up within us and you move upon us for our benefit and for the benefit of those that we come in contact with God as you come right now with your fiery brand and you drive the imprint of your heart deeper in ours deeper in ours that we would ache to love that we would be helpless to love that we would yearn to love and to walk like Jesus walked God in turn place that amber hot iron in our hands that we would leave the brand of love the brand of the father's heart because you love the world so much that you gave up your son that so who would whosoever believes would not perish but have life everlasting you love the world so much you gave it all oh and you're just asking us to give ourselves to you Give us the boldness to say, I surrender all today. Even if we don't know what that means. Double your anointing. Double your oil. Increase your fire. Set ablaze the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding, that we would see you and know your ways, and that we would see people how you see. Unfurl your goodness upon us. Let your goodness blow forcefully over our faces right now. I say the Lord bless you. And the Lord keep and guard you. And the Lord cause the light of his face shine to you and through you. As he upholds you before him like a father beaming over his infant child. And may he give you a peace that is beyond your intellectual capacity to comprehend, even in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, 
a peace that is beyond, a peace that is demonstrated, a peace that is powerful. And he bestows upon you now fresh robes of shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, an intact, favorable circumstance of living. So I say shalom, shalom, shalom. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit who is holy. So be it. Amen. If you're here today or you're online, you don't know Jesus, I invite you to plug into our ministry teams. You can uh, sign up for ministry with Angela in the corner, uh, in the hallway right there. And we will pray over you. We'll release healing over you. Uh, we'll prophesy over you. We'll even interpret a dream if you've got a dream that you feel like might be from God. But go and leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone you come in contact with today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.